One of my favorite things to do here at Hospitality Daily is bring you stories that are a bit unusual, and today's certainly fits the bill. I saw a photo of a professor of hospitality that I follow on LinkedIn saying that he was embarking on a trip to study one of Canada's most innovative hotel brands and become what he calls a thinker in residence for them. Stick around to not only find out what he means by this, but learn what he's learned and observed so far about culture, service, and providing remarkable hospitality. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then let's talk about this amazing project that you're working on right now. I'm Dr. William Murray. I'm an associate professor in the School of Hospitality, Food, and Tourism at the Lang School of Business and Economics at the University of Guelph, which is one of the top hospitality schools here in Canada. So that's my day job. And I have been an educator in hospitality for coming up to 25 years. And I've been in the hospitality industry since I was what, 14 years old. That's when I started. This is in my blood. And I tried to go away. And just like the movies say, they keep pulling me back. Well, you spend a lot of time educating, not only in the classroom, but for people around the globe through LinkedIn, through your podcast. I feel like education, showing people what hospitality can be, has been just this constant theme throughout your career. It's teaching people about service and, and giving and hospitality. And I think it makes more sense as I look back on what I've been doing. I think like a lot of us, we're just making it up as we go along and, and we're saying and teaching what we think is important. So when I teach people how to run operations, I'm trying to teach them to do that with a soul and that people are first and that that's very important. And like numbers, when we do financial statements, numbers tell a story about the people in behind them. So there's a humanity behind that and that there's an individual behind the person that you're serving or, or the employee. So always trying to keep the human aspect of it um, front and center. And sometimes that's a little bit messy in a business environment, but I think it should be. Yeah. I want to talk with you about something I saw you share that you were beginning this new project, a two-week project, where you are a thinker in residence. Tell us how this project came to be, and then I want to hear all about this. Okay. So I am working with Hotel Z, which is a small independent owner-operator uh, hotel company. Mandy Farmer is, and the Farmer family own this property. They also own Accent Inns. Now, Hotel Z they're a group of rebels. And this is the word that they use. They call themselves rebels in everything that they do. So when I, and I've worked with Mandy and she's been on my podcast before, and I've had a lot of conversations with her. When you get emails from them, they are one of those companies that strike out their titles and put in their own titles. So it could be, uh, um, vice president of XYZ slash oil painting lover, or uh, Morgan, shout out to Morgan, who is the executive assistant for the president, and she's the orchestrator of awesomeness. What does that do? It, it's like a freedom to just be yourself. And, and they encourage it. You get to title yourself. 
So when I'm writing back to them, I kept going in and changing my name. So I'd cross out associate professor and I would write in player with clay because I'm, I'm an amateur potter. So I would and I would change it all the time and they noticed that. So I, I put forward this idea. I'm on a research sabbatical and I wanted to come out and study a company that was fun. I wanted to take the time to be energized and fun. And there was a resonance here. So I pitched the idea that I would come out and be there thinker in residence. And we do residencies all the time, right? The in residence thing. We have it with executive in residence where we'll bring in people to our school. And then you'll have scholars in residence that go to other schools, artists in residence. And here's one that you'll be interested in. My friend Tim Ostrom in Calgary runs a residence in And they have a fully funded artist in residence program where they fund artists to come in and give them space to perform or create and then share it with the public in their property. Amazing. So I said, well, if I'm going to go out, I'm not going to go and just say, I am an associate professor. I'm going to be the thinker in residence. And I told them this and they just went, 100% we're on board. Let's go. Open access. And when I mean open access open access to the employees, open access to the executives, open access to all their doc, open. I got to tell you, before we go any further, that is actually something that is super, super rare. I have, you know, worked as a journalist officially or unofficially for a very long time. And it is extremely rare where someone gives you open Mm -hmm. access because usually there's so many filters and people to talk with and people to check with. And here's the approved spokespeople. So I just want to highlight for our listeners, you might like what we're going to get into, but just to set the stage, open access is something that I would imagine is going to enable everything that you were hoping. It's an absolute unicorn. When you go out to a lot of companies, and I love the companies that I get to work with, but there is a lot of protection of data and image management, and everything has to be on brand. With Hotel Z, this is exactly on brand is coming in and figuring out who they are and what they do and sharing the, and the word they use is awesomeness quite a bit. So sharing that is completely on brand for them. So there was a the great synergy there and I hopped out and I'm spending two weeks with Hotel Z. They have three properties. So right now I'm sitting in one of their properties in Victoria, BC, and I'm going up to a, which is their first property. I'll be going up to Tofino, BC, to their resort property, and then over into the heart of the Rocky Mountains in Kelowna, BC. So that's my two-week tour. I'll be seeing every property, talking with lots of employees, and I've had meetings with all of their executive members. So it's just a nonstop conversation. Why, why are you doing that? Why not just go to, go to one? Well, the thing about properties is every property has a bit of their own uniqueness in how they execute. And I think that has to do with location and population. So here in Victoria, we're a, it's a large city. And Tofino is, is a bit more of a remote resort town. And then Kelowna being in the heart of the Okanagan Valley, three very different locations. So how does that brand carry through and enact their identities in these disparate locations? So to only do one location biased one location over the other. So I I felt it really important to see all the locations to get a full mosaic, so to speak. Anytime you're coming and doing a project, I love the phrase, I don't know what I don't know yet. 
So on a trip like this, I'm very much open to serendipity, but that doesn't work when you actually have a job and you need to produce outcomes. So I'm here with three outcomes. One is a research study on organizational culture. And then I'm writing two learning case studies for the hospitality industry. I love the notion of going in without a specific objective or thing that you're hoping to find, but you know something, you know the reputation this brand has. So you know there's mm -hmm. something, something is happening here that's cool. And then you're going to go see for yourself. Now, my understanding is that you've already started some of these conversations. I'm curious what you're starting to hear. What are some of the early things that are standing out to you? When you're looking at organizational culture, if you come in with preconceived notions, and this is just my, my approach, if you come in with preconceived notions that culture is formed with a little bit of A, a little bit of B, and a little bit of C, then you look for A, B, and C. And then you're going to miss D and E because you have pre-assumptions of, of what the, the secret sauce is and what's going on. So I'm coming in using what's called a grounded theory approach and listening. Um, grounded theory allows me to talk to people, get their stories, and then use that to interpret. So it's, it's reversed from coming in with a preconceived idea, almost like an explorer. And so I'm using the idea that, that culture gets manifested in, in a couple of things. So one is the observable artifacts. Like, what do you see around you? Here at Zed, everything is 70s themed. Like radical 70s theme. It's they call it here in, in, in Victoria, they call it the Rainbow Hotel. The staff's uniforms are all individual. They have very broad parameters on dress code, right? Don't show inappropriate skin, uh, don't have any ripped clothing. But they all have different types of t-shirts. The housekeepers have been personalizing their t-shirts and tie-dyeing their t-shirts, and and it's very casual. And it has that casual 70s vibe. When you go into the lobby here to check in, the, it, it's like a living room. So it has the sunken chairs. It has vinyl record player with old, old music that you can go and listen to with headphones on. There's old typewriters. And I, I wrote some thank you notes yesterday on old typewriters. Very much impressing the younger staff that you know somebody like me can type. That's how I learned. The old it's a good typewriters. Party trick. Ding. It's a great party trick. So you have these, these, these observable artifacts, both in people, tattoos, piercings, all accepted, welcomed. Um, and then you have a, a core set of values. So that'd be the second one. So are there a sh shared set of values? And then third, is there a set of basic underlying assumptions that people within an organization hold? So just using those three boxes allows me to craft questions, have conversations, and see uh, what are the observable artifacts? What are the values that you hold dear? And what are the underlying assumptions that you're using when you're making day-to-day -day decisions, particularly decisions that are tricky or hard? We'll be back after a quick break. Are you enjoying this conversation? If so, I invite you to pause this episode and text it to a friend or colleague right now. Not only will you let them know that you're thinking of them, but you'll help and inspire them as well. Thank you, and let's get back to the conversation. That's interesting. I guess, do you are you starting to see anything in the implementation or how people 
engage with each other because I think what you've outlined makes a lot of sense, but I'm also, I also hear a lot of people talk about wanting to be more casual, inviting, come as you are, share values. I guess like in, in, and you've seen the industry from so many different angles. Do you feel like there's anything beyond that in the details where they're executing or maybe implementing these things in a slightly different way? I had a great conversation with the president of the, of the company and I kept asking questions and I kept coming back. And this, this comment has come up quite a bit. He just said, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. We say these things. You're waiting to see where we do these things. And you know, as well as I do, there are so many companies out there that their mission and vision statement live in a frame on a wall. It's great art, right? but it's not functional art. That's what we say. This is what we do. I say that one is espoused and one is enacted values. And the, the espoused values, what we say, and the enacted values, what we do, they don't align. So that's not what we really do. I'm not seeing the other shoe drop here yet. I'm getting example after example after example of how they live their values of people first, profit second. And that's a great slogan, right? Leading with love, putting people first. Can you do it though? Show me that you did that. So how did they do that? One great example back in COVID, which is one of the the teaching cases that I'm writing back in COVID, they worked very hard at deciding what to do. Very common response during COVID was the furloughs and the layoffs, the the disruption of norm. So up to COVID, January of 2020, all employees were family, not here in, in our industry, family, staff, family. And then in March 2020, it was, eh, it's not personal, it's business. It's not personal, it's business. Of course, it's personal. Everything is personal. Here... They sat down really quickly and decided, how do we keep our family together? And if we need to make waves, how do we make people whole? So I'm not saying anything out of school that I've discovered this week is they worked very, very hard at making sure that if they had to lay people off, it was for as short a period of time as possible. They went out and created an individual plan for every single employee on a spreadsheet. So all employees at all properties with their personal contexts and what was important to them. So middle of a pandemic, single mom, four kids, this became a context for decision-making. So if we needed to pull you back into work, was that going to cause more stress to you or was it better for you to get employee assistance and then come back when you were ready versus somebody else? that spreadsheet was more important than their profitability. Hmm. Their people were more important than their profit. They stopped giving out profit and loss statements to their frontline managers. And most businesses use that in their ops meeting at eight o'clock every morning, you know, at the end daily, what's our occupancy, what's our ADR. And they understood it's going to be crap. Everything is in the toilet right now. Why am I giving this to you? So that's going to be your main focus. I'm not going to give that to you. Go take care of your people. 
It's going to cost money. Go take care of your people. And I think that that stems from Mandy Farmer, who had the attitude of, if we're going to go down as a business, we're going to go down taking care of our people. Well, it's really those moments that are the the toughest moments where they become defining moments for the culture, right? That's what people are going to remember, not just when times are good. But I think what also stands out to me is thinking about how you communicate, thinking about how you hold people accountable. You think about those managers that you mentioned deciding not to share right. those P&L statements in that moment. In, in an environment like that, that may look similar to the example you described. It may look very yeah. different in a different context, but I think that notion yes. of aligning communication with how we hold people accountable and potentially doing things differently in a way that supports mm -hmm. the outcome that we're looking to achieve seems to be a universally takeaway for our listeners. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, wonder, absolutely. I, I wonder um, if we could bill to, if we could talk a little bit about, you know, your, your, th this project is, is ongoing for you. And I wonder yes. if we could go behind the scenes and share with our listeners what things you'll be looking for or how you're observing the culture. I think you touched on this uh, in a few elements because yeah. who I have in mind for this is maybe, let's say someone who is currently working in that organization with a great culture, they took the job because yeah. they want to learn that culture. And I'm curious, you know, where do you look or what do you observe or who do you follow to, to pick up on culture? Or if you're somebody who's mm -hmm. not working at a property, but you're just trying to study the industry, you're an expert in this, you're the professor, you're doing this right now as we speak. I'm curious yeah. how someone could go about, you know, immersing themselves in that so that they can learn what a culture is all about. There's a great phrase, there's never nothing going on. And with culture, culture in any organization is ubiquitous. Now, it can go on a, on a, on a spectrum, we can have a weak culture or a strong culture, but there will never be no culture. So if we go back to, to those three areas of what can we observe through artifacts, what do we, what do we value? And I think what we, when we talk about the values, it's what do we actually enact in our values? And if we say versus do different things, that's important as well, because that's going to say something about your values or, or your culture. And then what are the underlying assumptions that we make uh, at work? So what do you see? And I, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you observe? What are the stories that are people, people are telling? What are the tangibles and intangibles? So I often, when I'm doing this type of work, I find myself uh, a mirror. And what I want to do is start to ask people questions. So I'll, in my questions for this particular research, I will say, you know, tell, tell me about a story that stands out for you. And people will tell stories that that are important to them. And likely those stories are going to tell me something about what is important that went well or what is important that didn't go well. And we'll be able to use that to tie that story back to what's important. So, for example, a story about putting people first. If you say we put people first, my follow-up question is, show me. Like, give me a time when, the, those situational interview questions, right? Give me a time when. Why do they allow you to wear those tattoos? Tell me about your septum ring. What's up with that uniform? Tell me about X, Y, Z. Or I will, in terms of research, I'll reflect back. So you'll say something to me, 
and this has been happening every single day for me, is people are telling me stories and I say, what you're telling me is, make sure I get this correct. Hold on a second. Because when you live in an environment, it becomes normalized to you. So the people who work in this brand speak about this brand like this is the way that business is done. And I spend my time listening to their stories going, that's not normal. And they went, what do you mean it's not normal? This is just how we do things here. Nobody else is doing it that way. So they've normalized being rebels. It's just the way they do things. So when you're looking at a culture, sometimes having a thinker in residence or somebody from the outside coming in is valuable because you can't see the environment that you're in. And having somebody look at and go, I'm seeing something very, very different here. I love that. And I appreciate you walking through that because it seems in a sense that normalizing those behaviors is actually very productive. If you want to create a great yes. culture, you want it to seem no normal and, and not almost not that special, right? This is just how we, we mm -hmm. operate here. But if you're someone who is maybe new to the organization or, as you mentioned, outside the organization trying to understand it, there's the, an element of curiosity there. There's the element of, wait, I haven't seen this elsewhere. This is different. And I imagine you're recording all these differences, right? Everything gets recorded. Yeah. Everything gets recorded. I'll give you an example. I'd said that here in Victoria, they call this property the rainbow property because it is painted in the brightest rainbow colors, 1970s. So pinks, yellows, blue, greens everywhere. Now that's going to attract some people and repel other people. Everybody who works here has said, well, I saw the building and I went, oh, that's kind of cool. I wonder what's going on there. And they walk in and they get more of it as they come in. They, they walk into the lobby. They see the staff members. They see the uniforms or, or how people talk to one another. They go, these are my people. They're finding their tribe, so to speak. They're not to get too, too kitschy in the words that we use, but they're finding their people. And it's not going to work for other people. So this physical environment is allowing some people who align with the values the physical environment is allowing them to go, this is in scope for me. And other people, it's not in scope for, it's out of scope. That's great. I'm so excited to watch the the outcome of this. I imagine a, a fair amount of, you know, these findings will, will be private. You maybe share with, with the, the Z team and with your students, uh, but I hope you share some of it publicly. <clears throat> and I guess for those listening, where can they follow you to learn uh, about what you're, you're, you'll share uh, through this project and just kind of other things that you're seeing in the industry? Um, well, uh, I'm sharing some of this project and just my adventures on LinkedIn. So uh, I, I believe it's William C. Murray, but I could be wrong because I always forget what my handle is on LinkedIn, but I'm, I'm very easy to find. And I also talk about service on my podcast called The Service Center, which we'll be picking up again in 2024 once the tail end of my sabbatical wraps up and I'm I'm not neck deep in, in all of this goodness. Beyond that, some of this will get published in academic journals and then translated down into something more con consumable. 
Um, so hopefully through the, converse, the conversation here in Canada and, and media. And you and I will continue to have these conversations, I hope, and we'll, we'll talk about some of those findings on the other side. That would be great. We got to do this again, Bill. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. If you care about hospitality, I want you to check out the Masters of Moments podcast by my friend Jake Wurzak. Jake has appeared on Hospitality Daily a number of times because few people have the perspective he does as both an owner, he's the founder and CEO of Dove Hill Capital Management, and as a hospitality operator with Wurzak Hotel Group. Jake pulls from all of these experiences to host the Masters of Moments podcast, where he interviews top leaders in hospitality. His conversations with Bashar Wali and Matt Marquis are a great place to start, but also check out his solo episodes on how he underwrites investment deals to the deep dive he did on GP fees that you should know about. I'll link to all these episodes in the show notes, and I encourage you to subscribe to the Masters of Moments podcast in Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can learn from the best hotel investors and operators in the world today. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in this show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 